0: This is Reset, I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The report card is in. Illinois students are still struggling in reading and math classes and haven't bounced back since the pandemic. Reading scores have made slow progress back to pre-pandemic comprehension levels, but still only about one in three students in Illinois between third and 11th grades are at proficient levels of reading and writing. But all is not lost. The University of Chicago's Education Lab, in partnership with the Aspen Economic Strategy Group, recently published a paper outlining possible solutions to the learning loss that kids experienced over the last few years. So joining us now is Sadie Stockdale-Jefferson, Executive Director of UChicago's Education Lab. Hi, Sadie. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. And Luke Pardue is an Economic Policy Fellow at Aspen Economic Strategy Group. Welcome, Luke.
1: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: Now, before we talk solutions, Sadie, give us the scope of the problem here. Just how much has the pandemic impacted students learning these past few years?
2: So we know that the COVID-19 created not only a public health crisis, but also a public education crisis. And so, you know, between 2019 and 2022, American school children lost an average of three quarters of a year of schooling. Um, But we know that the most disadvantaged students fell even further behind. Um, And according to the NWEA, which is an assessment tool um, used to measure achievement and growth nationally, Uh, Students in most grades actually showed slower than average growth in math and reading uh, when compared to students before the pandemic. So we know that uh, learning loss is real um, and it remains and we need to address it.
0: So Luke, how much progress has been made in
1: reversing this learning loss? The progress that students have made in reversing pandemic-induced learning loss is variable by state and by the advantage of the student in, uh, in terms of the resources that they have in each school district. And what we see is that in states like Illinois, we have gone back to pre-pandemic levels of proficiency in certain pest scores. But overall, the picture is actually a little bit more concerning across the country. We haven't seen as much progress in states like Illinois mitigating this pandemic-related learning loss. And I also want to highlight the fact that without much progress today, these problems are going to compound themselves over time that when students fall behind in fourth grade, that means by eighth grade, they'll be farther behind and by high school, they're going to be even further behind. And so mitigating these problems today is an incredibly important aspect of building resilience in the future. And we asked Jens Ludwig and Jonathan Gurian to write this paper as a part of Aspen Economic Strategy Group's annual policy volume with the theme of building resilience. And so the importance of mitigating learning loss today is about building a future generation and a future workforce that is able to meet the challenges of tomorrow. And so that's why this is such an important issue.
0: Sadie, is this problem affecting some kids more than others? How does the loss break down when it comes to race or economic factors?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. We we absolutely see that this loss is impacting um, students who are uh, disadvantaged uh, much more. Um, when you look at the data across the country, um, districts that have a higher percentage of low-income students um, are making both a slower recovery um, and in the first place, um, you know, experienced more significant losses. Um, so, yes, absolutely, we see that Uh, When you look at breakdown across um, socioeconomic status and race that uh, the students who are continuing to be further behind, um, who were further behind before the pandemic even started, um, are those who are furthest from opportunity.
0: The the paper reads that a combination of uh, remote learning and the, quote, digital divide further widened disparities in schooling. Luke, can you explain what happened there and what the long term effects of this are? just
1: like you lay out this problem of pandemic learning loss was all about the disruptions relating to the pandemic in 2020. And as schools shifted to remote learning, some of the inequalities that were already present in our education system, namely this digital divide, the differences in access to these sorts of resources were exacerbated. The pandemic acted like a sort of wedge widening a lot of the inequalities that already existed. As one illustration of this issue with the digital divide, we see in Chicago public school systems, 350,000 students did not log on to even one Google Classroom or Google Meet in a single week in May 2020. And so this is exactly the mechanism through which this pandemic learning loss was exacerbated by by children not having access to the resources that were needed to learn during the pandemic when all Mm -hmm. of this disruption was occurring.
2: Yeah, and, and if I could just piggyback off of that, I think, you know, the real public policy challenge is is not, you know, to Luke's point, merely short-term learning losses. Um, Because education is intrinsically, you know, cumulative, we we see that there's a real possibility that these pandemic-induced disruptions may set back, you know, an entire generation of students. Um, Because unless we can catch students up, and particularly catch students up who are furthest from opportunity, Um, we are going to see these students remain off track for um, a very
0: long time. Yeah. And I'm curious what researchers found could best help kids get back on track academically, Sadie.
2: Sure. So, you know, this paper was really a call for action. Um, You know, it it was released by the Aspen Economic Strategy Group. um, And in it, the authors, you know, Dr. Jens Ludwig and Dr. John Gurion, i um, really talk about uh, three things that we need, um, which is more federal resources for schools um, greater funding flexibility um, and increased accountability to address U.S. learning loss. Uh, and to your point, we do know at least one approach that works to accelerate student learning, which is high dosage tutoring. So um, the University of Chicago Education Lab uh, has done, you know, numerous research studies around high dosage tutoring, uh, and we found actually that, you know, students gain, um, you know, two to three times the amount of learning than their peers who are not doing high dosage tutoring. Um, so we're actually working with districts across the country uh, to scale high dosage tutoring as one solution to addressing uh, this COVID learning loss. Um, and in fact, you know, right when uh, federal dollars were rolled out. Um, the U.S. Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, um, actually called on school districts to use this funding for high-dosage tutoring as one strategy to overcome learning loss.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, WBEZ reports that educators have already been doing this high-dosage tutoring to make up for uh, pandemic learning loss for a while now. In fact, we we spoke with Monica Bott, who's a senior research director at the UChicago Education Lab, about this. Uh, but- Luke, what comes to mind is the fact that tutoring can be expensive, right? We we talked about how there are economic disparities among the kids who are struggling academically. So what does this mean then for children who come from less financially supported backgrounds?
1: Sure. And I think that's a great question because this research from the education lab shows the potential and the power of high impact tutoring to mitigate pandemic learning loss. But then the next question is about scalability and about resources and access. How can we do this in a way that meets the scale of the problem while also reaching those who have been most affected by the pandemic-induced learning loss? And uh, Dr. Jens Ludwig and and Dr. John Garian addressed that problem by proposing what they call computer-assisted learning, leveraging technology strategically to increase the scale and reduce the cost of high-impact tutoring while maintaining that level of impact. And so for instance, in one of their studies, they see when a tutor meets with two students five days a week, there are significant increases in learning. They can basically move somebody from about, ranking about 15th out of 100 students to ranking 85th out of 100 students, moving them high up the distribution in learning. But then what they also find is that if we can replace maybe every other day of tutoring in person with technology with a with a computer program, they can actually cut costs by one third while maintaining that same level of impact. And so that's the way that we can strategically leverage technology to increase the scale while maintaining that level of impact that meets the need and reaches those who need this tutoring the most. Folks, there's, there's one point that stands out here from this paper.
0: Uh, it says, quote, in a regular classroom setting with 20 to 35 students, Teachers need a great deal of prior pedagogical training and on-the-job learning to successfully personalize instruction and handle classroom management. But once class size is reduced to just one or two students, those two tasks become fundamentally different and easier. Can you explain the impact of that change, Sadie?
2: Sure. You know, I'm a former ninth grade teacher myself, and I, you know, I had classroom sizes um, up to 30 students and um, that's exactly right, right? A teacher standing in front of a classroom, um, trying to teach grade level content to students whose academic levels vary enormously is, is a huge challenge when you talk about a class size um, that is that large. Um, but if I can sit with a student um, at a you know two to one or a four to one, or even an eight to one ratio, uh, the ability to differentiate instruction um, to students whose academic levels vary um, is, is much more possible. And that's what we've seen in our research. Uh, and so, yes, it is a fundamentally different task to teach to smaller groups uh, than to try to differentiate instruction for that many
1: students.
0: So, Luke, what do we need to get there? What do schools need to make that change
1: happen here in Illinois? Well, as the authors write in this paper, change requires change. And what schools can do is not only change change, the model of instruction, but also change the HR model by which they attract and retain talent, namely teachers. So in that first kind of bucket, it's really important that this research shows to implement this tutoring during the school day. And so in terms of the instructional model, teachers and school districts can find time or should find time during the day to leverage high impact tutoring rather than on the weekends or after school and that's the way in which we can reduce these class sizes while also keeping students attention during the school day and then the second form of change which is kind of changing the hr model by which school districts operate is really by looking to paraprofessionals to implement this tutoring that when you reduce the class size you can reduce those problems of heterogeneity and classroom management that highly skilled teachers are really good at solving But when you have two-on-one tutoring, you can look to a paraprofessional, like I said, that is at about a third the salary of a licensed credentialed teacher. And so those are the sort of the two ways that school districts can change how they operate to implement this solution and mitigate pandemic learning loss.
0: Yeah, and as it's written here too, more time, more money, more accountability. Right, Luke?
1: Exactly. Those are the three things that we can do to help solve this problem, give school districts more time to spend this money. As the authors write, this is almost as if we ended Operation Warp Speed because we met some arbitrary bureaucratic deadline when the problem is still present and is in some places getting worse. And also school districts can benefit from what the authors call quote unquote nudges in terms of accountability, by making sure that they spend money in effective ways and can also revise their plans and how they spend money. And so those those two specific ways, more time and more accountability, are really important. And then also to meet this need to implement a solution like tutoring, they need more resources. It's something on the, the order of $75 billion in order to implement across the country high-impact tutoring, which will get students one more year of progress?
2: Well, if I could piggyback on that, I I think one thing that, you know, is really important that the authors talk about is this idea of more resources, um, because I think a lot of people might say, oh, you know, districts already, you know, already received this influx of resources. Um, But it's actually the case that these federal uh, resources that districts received weren't really nearly enough from the beginning Um, I know, you know, to listeners, $190 billion sounds like a lot of money, Um, but that money was actually spread out over several years. Um, And the U.S. typically spends close to $800 billion on K-12 schooling every year. So on an annual basis, the the funding, the supplemental funding that districts received is actually just a 6% increase in total school spending per year. Um, But, you know, to, to the author's point, Uh, With more resources, uh, we do need more time and more accountability to ensure that these federal dollars
1: are spent on the hard-to-do things like high-dosage tutoring. Finally, to piggyback on her piggyback, a lot of that money was also meant to replace lost tax revenue. So it's not even as if school districts were at their normal level of funding and received this additional fund. A large portion was just meant to replace the lost tax revenue as school districts were short of funds during the pandemic.
0: So to that end, I mean, we talked about how this might cost money both for parents and school districts. What are some ways that this cost could be mitigated without negatively impacting the students, Sadie?
2: So, you know, we are particularly uh, the authors in this paper are calling for um, the federal government to uh, allocate more resources towards this. Um, We, you know, certainly don't want parents to foot the cost of tutoring. And in fact, what Luke has talked about and what the authors argue is, um, in order for high dosage tutoring to work, it does need to be during the school day, right? And we do need to focus on uh, districts uh, in schools that have students who have been furthest away from opportunity. Um, So both at the federal level, um, the state level, and then finally at the district level, Uh, We need to allocate more resources for high dosage tutoring, um, specifically during the school day.
0: The paper outlines some expected consequences of not getting today's students back on track with their education. Talk about those, Sadie.
2: So, you know, we know that if learning loss goes uncorrected,
0: um, that there are long term outcomes.
2: So the authors uh, speak about, you know, a potential two to nine percent lower lifetime income um, as a result. Um, And uh, Tom Kane out of Harvard actually talks about uh, the fact that the drop in eighth grade math learning alone uh, will lead to a collective $900 billion loss in future earnings. Um, So this isn't just an issue of the here and now, right? We need to address this um, to ensure that, you know, future students um, have the opportunity they need and don't continue to fall further behind.
0: Yeah, anything to add there, Luke? What action are you asking for policymakers to to take to prevent this? Sum it up for us.
1: And what can parents do at home to support their kids in the meantime? As many have said, this challenge requires an all-hands-on-deck approach. We need efforts from policymakers at the federal and at the state and local level, and then also action from parents to make sure that their students are back on track or are keeping up with their educational progress from these policymakers. We need them to allocate more resources and provide more time and accountability to these school districts. And then parents can make sure that students are doing the work that teachers ask of them. Computer assisted learning and technology that we need to manage the scale of this problem requires parents to be cognizant of students time and to make sure that they're logging in and doing the work and so that's the way in which parents can help these students mitigate pandemic-related learning loss while policymakers provide more resources and provide that support. And so we know that the, the road to, to recovery in terms of educational progress goes through the classroom, but it also goes through home and through the halls of Congress.
0: We'll leave it there. Luke Pardue is an economic policy fellow at Aspen Economic Strategy Group, and Sadie Stockdale-Jefferson is the executive director of UChicago's Education Lab. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you.